Hello, I'm Sandra Gionis of the Hellenic Heritage Foundation, and we're back with another season of our podcast series, HHF Presents, where we re-examine Greek history, but from a diaspora perspective. In previous seasons, we covered the Greek Revolution, the Cori exhibit at the Royal Ontario Museum, which was a look at archaic Greek art, and last year's Exodus, the stories of 1922 and the expulsion of Greeks from Asia Minor. This season's podcast is called Edo Politechnio. I'm joined by my co-host this season, Bill Molos. Bill is the director and research lead of the HHF Greek Canadian Archives at York University. Now, prior to this, he was an assistant professor, Division of Arts and Humanities at New York University, Abu Dhabi, which I'd love to hear about someday. That's where he specialized in Greek history. Welcome, Bill. Thanks so much, Sandra. I'm really excited to participate in this important public history project. Okay, first question. What does Politechnio mean to you? It's, um, it's Masada, it's Thermopylae, it's self-sacrifice in defense of one's values. The Politechnio occupation, it's, it's one of these moments when waves of discontent crystallize spontaneously into this massive countrywide protest. And people participate for different reasons. Some want academic freedom, some desire popular sovereignty. Many are just opposed to the surveillance and the torture, but they participate. And they participate knowing they would be beaten, arrested, tortured, or worse. To me, it's a story of heroism, but also a story of hope and resilience. In any case, I think it's one worth telling. We're bringing to you the story of the student uprising at the Polytechnio in Athens, one of the universities in that city. And we are going to tell you the entire story, starting with the years after the Greek World War and the Civil War and how that set up the politics of what was to happen in the 60s and cover the event itself and what happened after. But because we're a diaspora podcast, we chose a very Greek title. So tell me, Bill, what does Edo Polytechnio mean? <laughs> it, is a, it is a very Greek title. Um, Edo Polytechnio literally translates to here Polytechnic or here is the Polytechnic. After the occupation began, students created a radio station. They used shortwave radio to update the public on what was happening at the university and to invite them to revolt. When Maria Damanaki, the station's main announcer, got behind the mic and repeated Edo Polytechnio, Edo Polytechnio, she was inviting the public to join the protest that surrounded the university. She was also declaring that here, at the Politechnio, democracy survives. Our sponsor is Agapi Greek Radio, and we're in their studios in Scarborough right now. Are you ready to talk Politechnio? Of course, let's go. Edo Politechnio, Edo Politechnio, σας μιλά ο ραδιοφωνικός σταθμός των ελεύθερων αγωνιζόμενων φοιτητών, των ελεύθερων αγωνιζόμενων Ελλήνων. Εδώ Polytechnio. That's an actual recording from the Athens Polytechnic Uprising of 1973. It was broadcast from a radio station that students built in the university's engineering school. We have to remember that radio was a very important medium at this time. And during this era of censorship, shortwave radio offered an outlet to communicate to the broader public. Mostly Athenian, but the broadcast reached as far as Paris. And what they heard was the then 21-year-old Maria the Manaki repeating the following, Here is the Polytechnic. Here is the Polytechnic. This is the radio station of the free fighting students, of the free fighting Greeks. Bill, what did you learn about the 1973 student uprising in Greek school? Short answer, very little. 
I only really learned about the event when I was in university. My Greek school experience was a bit different, though. I didn't attend a Kinotita school. At my Greek school in the 80s and 90s, we learned, we learned much more history. We studied the classical and the Byzantine periods, the, the revolution, and Ohide. We also learned about some more marginal figures like Isokrati, the, the great Athenian orator, and about Eoka and the, uh, the Greek Cypriot nationalist movement. Still, the story we learned about ourselves was similar to other Greek schools. It was a nationalistic story stressing continuities from antiquity until the present. Stories about religious and linguistic minorities, stories about civil violence, and stories about the junta. They didn't fit into the curriculum. They were largely ignored, as was the story of the Politecnio. I got a very, very traditional Greek school education and was a lot of 1821 Greek revolution. And the only reason I found out about the Politecnio and the uprising is... I had this scruffy Greek school teacher in grade nine who was teaching his first year of Greek school. His name was Michalis Vitopoulos, and he was one of those students at the occupation. And so he made Greek history suddenly come alive. I realized that Greek history was a lot more than just past archaic stories or 1821, and it was very current at that time. I'd like to know... I mean, the junta was a pretty repressive regime. So why did the students do it? There were many different motivations for protesting. This was a brutal regime. It was led by ideologues unsuited for their roles. The colonels, they, they lacked the training. They lacked the intellectual curiosity or the vision to rule effectively. The junta, it always had this air of illegitimacy about it. The truth is an occupation on the scale was never premeditated. There's an element of spontaneity in our story. Actually, the whole thing starts with a misunderstanding. On November 14, 1973, a rumor spread throughout the law school that police had entered the Polytechnic and were bullying students. 300 students quickly rallied to the university. A crowd of 2,000 quickly forms. The students then decide to boycott classes and occupy the building. Word spreads, and the following day, there's 10,000 people who have gathered. And the lack of a police response for the first two days, it emboldens the students. Many felt that they had broken the regime's back, and that radical transformative change was imminent. First of all, this was all based on a rumor that wasn't true, right? Mm -hmm. And second, it was the actual students who were occupying the university grounds and then a crowd of people kind of swelled outside to support them? Absolutely. And there was a bit of a difference between what was happening within the university and what was happening outside. But nevertheless, there was this huge mass gathering that happened almost immediately. And did that prevent the police from kind of going in and arresting everyone? The police were awaiting orders. Some police were sympathetic, but they waited nonetheless. How risky would it have been back in 1973 for the students to occupy the university? Very risky. Very risky. Uh, there had been some small protests leading up to this, but nothing resembling the occupation. It's possible some thought that the regime would tolerate this demonstration, but Padolpoulos had been pursuing this liberalization program um, the preceding years, and he had announced elections for 1974. Most knew better, though. Also, many had already been beaten, arrested, and tortured, so they understood the risks. Still, nobody expected tanks. Nobody expected the regime to install snipers uh, to shoot demonstrators. Nobody expected 24 very public murders. Now, 50 years have passed since that fateful occupation. How do Greeks in general regard the events of November 73? To quote a statement from President Sakilaropoulou, the Polytechnic Uprising was the beginning of the end for the seven-year dictatorship and the foundation of transition to democracy. It's a foundation myth for the post-74 Greek Republic. It's commemorated in schools, particularly the Polytechnic itself, 
where events are scheduled over three days each November. There's also an annual march from the Polytechnic campus to the American Embassy. Residents of Athens and Thessaloniki also lay wreaths and flowers at monuments, but this isn't without controversy. For some, these commemorations whitewash history. They gloss over the absence of systematic dissent against the dictatorship. For others, most notably the political scientist Stathis Kalivas, these commemorations are part of a quote-unquote public discourse of resistance against authority. For Kalivas, they celebrate and encourage civil disobedience, violent demonstrations, and the destruction of public property. Like everything in Greek history, people have differing opinions. To help us better understand this chapter in Greek history a little better, we welcome Kostis Kornetis. He's the professor of history at Universidad Autónoma de Madrid. In Madrid, he's also the author of Children of the Dictatorship, Student Resistance, Cultural Politics, and the Long 1960s in Greece. Welcome, Kosti. Nice to be with you. Thank you. Could you tell us a little bit about how Greeks today regard the Polytechnic Uprising of 1973? Yes. So, uh, first of all, we should say that the Polytechnia, the Polytechnic, is the, the major point of reference in, in terms of commemoration, in terms of commemor- commemorative practices after the transition to democracy in Greece. I would say that this was a, a legitimizing factor. This became very quickly on after the transition, a sort of national memory site, a, a Lude Memoire. And I think this is this is important to have in mind because the uh, the, the narrative that that was established after that point uh, was that uh, you know somehow the, the Polytechnio encapsulated the willingness of the entire Greek people to resist the colonels. So that was the the narrative of the initial, you know, what we call the Metapolitevsi period, right? The, the period following the collapse of the of the colonels regime, a moment that uh, symbolizes the discrediting of the junta. But I would say that the Politecnio for a long time after the, the transition to democracy came to represent not only the major, the most spectacular act of resistance against the junta, but it was inscribed in many people's mind as the actual moment that brought down the junta. Uh, which doesn't correspond to to reality. And that's the interesting thing. The Politecnio had a very heroic aura for a long time, uh, definitely throughout the 1970s, the, the second half of the 1970s, and uh, throughout the 1980s. Then from the 1990s onward, there was a, uh, the articulation of a, of a more critical discourse uh, precisely about not the Polytechnio itself, the events, but the so-called Polytechnic generation. So the students uh, who were the, let's say, the vehicles, right? The protagonists of the Polytechnic story. And if you look at press of the time, you would see headlines uh, saying that the, well, the revolutionaries, the, you know, they compromised they're sold out in a way, right? That they kind of traded their pedigree, the revolutionary pedigree, for a political position, some kind of position in in the power hierarchy. When you say they were discredited, why would that be? Yeah, there was this initial initial phase in which they were discredited as, as being sold out. But then I think since 2009 and 10, the idea was that I think a scapegoat was needed to explain financial collapse and, and, and the political collapse 
of the country. And uh, to my mind, that was a very kind of um, handy explanation. Who is responsible? The Polytechnic Generation. Why would you reach back 40 years in history to find someone to blame? Well, because the idea was that they are the ones who built this new political system, what we call the the entire metapolitefsi. They are the ones who became the new cadres in the new political parties. What about the slogan, Somipedia Elefteria? Has the left moved on from that? That's a wonderful question. So again, I think the crisis brought back that slogan uh, forcefully to the present. It's a great question. You know, why did we go back 40 years during the crisis? But I think, again, people needed and needed explanations. And the past very often provides explanations, easy explanations, maybe simplistic ones. You know, I'm not going to say, even though I'm a historian, it, it is the past that, that really provides great explanatory schemes. But one of the big slogans of the time uh, during the great protests, you know, if you remember what was going on in 2011-12, the images that we have in our minds are large crowds uh, gathering at Sintagma Square and other big squares of the, of, of the country, protesting against austerity uh, and so on. One of the, the major slogans that came out of, of those moments was bread, education, freedom, so me pedia eleftheria, precisely. Y junta de delios de 73. The junta did not end in 1973, right? So it's, it's, it's an interesting twist. It's like appropriating the major catchphrase of the polytechnic occupation, which is bread, education, freedom, but also adding that weird twist, which is like, what does it mean that the junta did not end in 1973? There was a lot of criticism by the press, especially the conservative press saying, oh, you know, they don't even have the, their dates right. They don't even know that the junta ended in 1974 and not 73. But that's precisely, I think, what the slogan pointed at. And the idea was, the problem of Greek democracy, after all, is that it did not start as a result, the post-74 democracy, as a result of a social movement, a mass movement from below, that's the 1973, the Polytechnic, but in July 74, as a result of a tragic coup d'etat in Cyprus, and then a kind of shady deal between militaries and politicians, right? Because it was the militaries who invited the politicians to come back and clean up the mess after what happened in Cyprus. It's a, it's a, it's a revisionist slogan. It's like democracy should have been different, but look, it wasn't. It, it was the product of, of, that, uh, of that tragic moment. So it's interesting that this slogan gained currency again 40 years later. Thanks, Costi. We'll talk to Costi more in future episodes. Thanks so much, Costi. Bill, how did the student occupation resonate in parts of the diaspora, like here in Canada? I asked George Papadatos that. Now, George has lived a, a remarkable life. He grew up in Greece, but uh, fled as a refugee during the dictatorship. He actively participated in various movements in Toronto uh, from about the late 60s to the early 80s before finally repatriating to Athens. It's also important to mention that George introduced a generation of students at Scarborough College to Greek culture and history. And he was also active in Danforth's music scene in the 70s, owning the famed Trojan Horse and various North American concerts for Greek musicians. Welcome, George. 
while the junta was going on in Greece, what was happening here in Toronto? Toronto, in 1967, that uh, the junta took place in Greece, at approximately about seven to 70,000 Greek immigrants. Most of them, they were from the old time. They came after the Civil War that took place in '49. They were divided into regional associations, you know. There were about 70, 80 of them. Plus, there, were, there was an umbrella association called the Greek Community of Metropolitan Toronto Incorporated. The junta take power on April 21st. What, what unfolds in, in Toronto immediately after? The day after, the coup, uh, according to one of the Toronto, because I wasn't there. But I, I went to Toronto in 69 as a political refugee from, from Geneva. Because I was uh, I was deported from uh, from Switzerland, and uh, the Canada offered me refugee refugee status, so I came to Toronto in 1969. So we have two years. So according to to my research, and my talking to Mike Andrikopoulos, who is today the owner of the music hall theater on Davos, the day after the junta, they went to the basement of the Greek church called St. George on 115 Bond Street. And that was the first meeting. And they decided to create an association called Committee for the Restoration of Democracy in Greece. And a week after that, they ended up having a demonstration at the City Hall Square, Nathan Phillips Square. There were about three or 400 people. And that was the first demonstration against the Honda. Could you tell us a little bit about the events that took place at York University during Greek Freedom Week in 1970? Well, I, Spiros Drainas, or Stan Drainas, if you wish in English, Peter Repas and Angelo Exacustos created the Students for a Free Greece as organization. And we decided in November of 1970 to make a big event called Freedom Week. Today, looking back, was the biggest activity ever against the junta at the university level. We drew about almost 3,000 people. What was your reaction when you heard that the students in Athens had occupied the Polytechnic? I was at the basement of the Trojan Horse, where we had a, a radio shortwave receiver, trying to get some information. So finally, we managed to get on there Deutsche Welle and uh, we're getting the information from them. So we were really, really, really pissed off. At the same time, Megis Todorakis was in Toronto. In November 20th, Todorakis came to Toronto for two concerts, one for the 20th and the day after 21st. We went to the concert, and after the concert, about 3,000 people marched to the city hall, and uh, we sang the Greek National Anthem. And that was our, our, our response, support of the Greek student massacre that took place November 1973 in the Athens Polytechnical School. George, you ran the Trojan Horse, which was a great uh, place for music in Toronto on the Danforth. But yeah, how yeah. important was the actual music to the resistance movement? Very much important. It was the only place to hear, to hear the music of the Dorakis to start with. But you have to, to understand that that doesn't happen just like this, you know, like we open a place and we put the music in. No, because 
the Greek consulate had terrorized people not to go to the Trojakos because they were paid staff and at the, the, the Greek consulate called Stratiodiki Apolity, military escorts at the, the consulate, terrorizing people, don't go there, that's the place where the communists go. So most of the Greeks, they were passing by from outside, looking inside and not, not coming in. So I took over with Cosmas Marinatos and I make a deal with him. When they approached me to take over the Roja horse, I was in charge of a service as a volunteer called East Minister Community Services, which was near the Trojan Horse, the big church, and we're trying to help Greek immigrants to fill certain applications and and uh, try to legalize their, their stay in Toronto. And I said to them, listen, I'm willing to do Cosmas approach me because Cosmas and Nicotzigos are from the same island. They knew each other. So I said to Cosmas, Cosmas, I'm willing to, to take over the because till then I was a customer. Uh, but from now on, you will be in charge of the staff, this and that. But what happens on stage, it will be my doing. And here we'll do, be doing all political work and nothing else. Because Buzuki, they can go to many, many different places in Toronto for Buzuki music. Here will be political music. And they agreed, so we started. And as a result of that, people started acting. So most of them, they were because of me because I was popular to them. I was helping them out. Say, okay, let's go. I had George at the cafe house. So slowly, 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 the play became, it was always packed. Like there were days that outside there was two meters snow and people were lined up to come in. So you it that way, it was not only the music, it was also the activities they were doing, the talks. Uh, even translating things, uh, songs, uh, uh, poetry, events, uh, every week. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, I, I said to them that when the Huda will get the hell out of Greece, I'll put the keys on the table. And sure enough, in 1974, when Huda was over, I put the keys on the table and said, here, that's the end of my career here. I don't want to be a coffee house owner anymore. Uh, thanks so much, George. We really look forward to, to speaking with you again as our story progresses. Yeah, sure, anytime. This is the first of eight episodes in this podcast series. We'll be back with more, especially with the music of the era. We started the podcast with a song you may recognize as the theme music to a very famous film by Costas Gavras named Z, or Z as we call it in Canada. <laughs> that song is titled Toyelasto Pevi. It's often associated with a desire for democracy and the anti-junta struggle. Interestingly, the song has Irish roots. Theodorakis adapted Brendan Mahan's The Laughing Boy, a song written in memory of the Irish revolutionary Michael Collins. Get out. Yeah. If a Greek person hears it, do they automatically identify with the era we'll be talking about? Oh, 100%. It's uh, often played at school commemorations, marking the uprising, so most associated with the resistance in the Politecnio. But it's one of many, uh, many incredible songs produced during this era. We're going to end this episode with Thasimano Nikobanis, another anthem of the resistance and the occupation. Who's this song by? The song's also composed by Mikis Todorakis. Its lyrics are from Romeo Sini, a poem by Yanis Ritsos penned during the Civil War. Romeo Sini is about the universal struggle against tyranny. And Canto 4, where these lyrics first appear, describes the dream of a triumphal homecoming. To quote, The bells will sound their names. This land is theirs. This land is ours. 
Under the earth, between their crossed hands, they hold the bell rope. They await the hour. They're not asleep. They're waiting to announce the resurrection. members of the Hellenic Heritage Foundation's History Committee, dedicated to public history projects contributing to a better understanding of our Greek heritage. The HHF is a non-profit organization promoting Hellenic education, culture, and heritage projects across Canada. To learn more about us or to donate, go to hhf.ca. This episode was brought to you by Agape Greek Radio, edited by Stempa Pulkas. Our studio technician was Dimitri Tuchlakis. Our research team was Barbara Thanasoulas, aided by Professor Sakis Gekas, and Tina Pulimeno-Zadzanis, who was also our story editor for this episode. I'm Bill Molos of the HHF Greek and Archives. And I'm Sandra Gionis of the HHF's History Committee and a board member. You can find Edo Politecnio and all our other podcasts on our channel, HHF Presents, which is on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. A special thank you to our guests today, Costis Cornetis and George Papadatos. We'll be back with our next episode to talk about the road to 1967.